Mavis. Welcome to the Church of Mavis radio show. It's Friday night. We're all still alive and moshing with the apocalypse. Uh, as usual. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Uh, we got Wham here with us tonight, but I saw some article, and I don't know how legit it was, but something about the Earth's core turning backwards. Oh, yeah. I guess it does that every now and then. Every 70 years, it stops and reverses and then stops and goes the other way. And it's apparently, it's perfectly normal. So it's perfectly normal because I know I hear a lot about the magnetic fields and pole shifts and, you know, any throwing all the energy weapon stuff. We talked to Andy about that, which, you know, a lot, I know some of that's kooky, but there is some truth to it. I just saw a big article about our military making a, a laser that they shoot from space. That's like something from GI Joe versus Cobra or something. But so just, you, so you, we just lost Bruce again. So I told, I told him that if he, if he went away to just dial back in. <laughs> okay. I wonder why he's dropping that. Well, it's just probably. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but my point is, uh, there he, here he goes. But, uh, yeah, we got Bruce Hallenbeck here tonight, uh, Hallenbeck, and we're going to be talking about his book, uh, The Kinderfield, Kinderhook Creature and uh, and Beyond, uh, it's a Small Town Monsters book. And uh, my point is with all this, we got you, Bruce. Uh, my point with all this core stuff and energy weapons and uh, pole shifts, it's like it's the crazies. You ever see that movie? <laughs> it's like everyone's yes, going yes. crazy. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of crazy, like weird, like some dude went nuts in a Walmart parking lot and attacked a school bus and the police had to mow him down. Like crazy, weird stories like that. Like just people going crazy. It's kind of like a zombie apocalypse or something. I just wonder if all this stuff's making everyone crazy. All this crazy core backwards and pole shifts and magnetic fields and God knows what else. Uh, You know, he's gone again. I, I, I tell you what, I, here's here's the thing, Jeffrey. He's going to come and go, so we could just talk about the book anyway. Because <laughs> yeah. I I can tell you I can tell you about the book, so you know, and then and then Bruce, whenever he shows up and it works, he can talk about it some more. All right. I just wonder why he's. We've had a lot of technical issues. At first, his uh, uh, mic was very low, and it wasn't his fault. It was something technical that I don't uh, understand. Now we got him on his phone and it's working, but for some reason it keeps disconnecting. So uh, let's see. There he is. Am I back? Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, back. I can hear you at least. There you go. There you go. I don't know if your, your internet's dropping or what, but we'll just keep coming back. Well, tell us, Bruce, a little bit about the Kinderhook creature. What what got you started on that? What was the catharsis to write a paranormal book with a small town monsters? say now he's frozen okay um yeah well uh let's see (laughs) it all started back when i was about 11 years old can you hear me yeah yes yes can you hear me okay yeah yes 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 okay uh when i was okay uh when i was in sixth grade i read a book called the maybe monsters by a guy named gardner soleil and uh it was about uh, the Loch Ness Monster and, uh, you know, the Yeti and Bigfoot and all those things. So I became very interested in cryptozoology, although I don't think they had that word back then. And um, 
you know, it, it was just kind of something that I was interested in. And then about uh... nope, see, he's gotten frozen. And uh, I know he did the book with uh, for some reason he's having some tech stuff, but uh, the book is with Small Town Monsters okay. Publishing, and uh, we've had them on before, Seth, and uh, talked about some documentaries. I forget which one, but I think it's their first book because I didn't see any other books on the site. I think it's the first book they put out. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, um, this book is also sort of a biography. It's sort of a paranormal biography uh, because Bruce has had, um, and just for our viewers' sake, um, I interviewed Bruce for my book, Mysterious Beauty, so I know a little bit. I mean, I'm not as an expert on Bruce, but I know a little bit about his background because he shared that with me. And... Um, and gave me a, a, a kind of a brief summation of some of the stories in this book that then appear in this book um, in, in the interview. And um, so uh, essentially, um, you know, he'll, he'll probably, and just to tell you a little bit about his context and what's in the book, he lives in Kinderhook, uh, New York, which is about oh, I don't know, 60, 70 miles north and east of where I live. It is on the Hudson Valley. And Kinderhook is, um, is the place where Washington Irving got his inspiration for uh, the, the story of uh, the Headless Horseman in Sleepy Hollow. Now, Sleepy, what's interesting about what Irving did, and this is what Bruce talks about in the book, it's interesting about it is that um, is that the characters in in the legend of Sleepy Hollow and to some degree Rip Van Winkle the characters are taken from actual people in Kinderhook and then um, were put into the context of Sleepy Hollow which is a which was a hamlet that is further south much closer. To New York, what is now New York City. Now, actually, uh, Sleepy Hollow is like a, a hamlet that's a suburb of New York City. Um, but but Bruce actually lives in the in the town and in the hamlet of Kinderhook, which is this place that has that is sort of legendary for haunted things. So that so he sort of lives within that context. Are you there, Bruce? Can you hear us? Yeah, he's. He's having, we're having some real transmission problems tonight. Um, Someone, Juggalo Squatcher Blake Downing said, dude's got dial-up. No, I don't think that. No, he <laughs> It made me laugh. No, no, no. Well, I can, I, I can tell you this personally. I can tell you this personally because I'm familiar with the internet and with um, phone service here in the Hudson Valley. Um, we have trouble sometimes with our cell towers. I mean, I myself with my phone, um, I have, I ha if, if, I mean, if I go outside my house, I can get relatively decent coverage, but to make a phone call inside my house, I have to use Wi-Fi in my phone. So, okay. Can you hear, you. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay. Well, for the moment anyway, huh? Yeah, I was I telling them about, I was telling them about Kinderhook. Okay. Tell us cool stuff about it. Yes. Uh, 
Kinderhook is where I'm at right now, and apparently we have terrible phone service. But uh, other than that, <laughs> it's a pretty interesting place. Yes, um, I, was, I was telling them about Washington Irving and Kinderhook. And... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, yeah. uh, you know, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow was my favorite story. And I, I really, you know, dug the fact that uh, right down the road from here, there's a bridge that crosses the Kinderhook Creek. And I thought, that must be the bridge where Ichabod Crane ran away from the Headless <laughs> Horseman. And, you know, I'd like to think that, although actually the story was set uh, near Terrytown. Mm-hmm. But uh, Washington Irving took all the the characters, based them on people here in Kinderhook. Um, Ichabod Crane was a guy named Jesse Merwin. Um, Katrina Van Tassel was Katrina Van Allen. Brom Bones was uh, Brom Van Alstein, all that stuff. Uh, so both both towns kind of claim it. Right. But uh, it has a very, you know, rich kind of atmosphere, especially around Halloween. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up with that. And, of course, I was interested in, you know, strange things from a very young age. And, um, you know, when the kindred creature came along, it was kind of like, wow, it's like Santa Claus is real. You know, I mean, it was such a bizarre thing to happen. Although I had had incidences in my childhood that were a bit strange <laughs> and actually throughout my whole life. Um but the kindred creature was kind of like the piece de resistance. Definitely. What were some of the paranormal experiences you had when you were younger? Was it ghost or UFO or what was going on? That's the blob thing, right? Yeah, the blob. Um, I mean, it kind I of ran about the blob. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that uh, there's a, uh, a website called the Kinderhook blob. Well, mm-hmm. it's, a blog. it's a blob blog. And uh, I don't know who put that up there, but they got the story, I think, from one of the books I wrote. And when I was about nine or 10 years old, my cousin Cherry and I were, you know, playing up in the woods behind my grandparents' house. And I heard this high-pitched whistling sound. And I, I turned to, to see the source of the sound, and there was this sort of white, bluish-white, blobbish thing that seemed to be looking at me from behind a tree although it didn't really have any eyes i could see but i felt it was looking at me and uh of course being nine or ten years old i said to my cousin let's get out of here and we you know took off down the hill and uh that was that you know at the time you could pass it off as childhood imagination maybe but then about uh two or three years later uh my boyhood friend jerome was down in the woods uh, down near the spring that was was down there, which around which a lot of strange things seemed to happen. And uh, I was up at uh, my grandparents' house, and he was down there in the woods doing something. And he came running up to the porch where I was just coming out, and he said, "Well, believe it, I just saw down there. It was like a big blob that just kind of came down the hill. He said it was like a, a bell-shaped thing. And at first, I thought he was pulling my leg." So I said, okay, we'll get that thing. So, you know, I grabbed a, a pitchfork and he grabbed something else. And, uh, you know, we took off like the uh, the villagers in the old movies and uh, we were going to find this blob. And uh, I, you know, we, we were walking through the woods and this is in broad daylight. And suddenly he stopped and he pointed straight ahead up in a tree. And he said, look up there. 
And yes, I saw a white or bluish white shape up in the tree. And of course, being oh, around 12 years old at the time, I said, let's get out of here. <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we dropped our weapons and ran. And okay, uh, fast forward to uh, about 15 years later. And two of my cousins were, were down in the woods, same woods. And they had a lean-to down there. And this, again, was in the daytime. And they said that they saw a strange thing coming down the hill. Now, my, it's an interesting story because my cousin, Barry, who is Protestant, saw a bell-shaped thing coming down the hill. And my cousin, Russell, who is Catholic, saw the Virgin Mary coming down the hill. <laughs> wow. And of course, of course, they took off and ran. Uh, I thought that was very interesting because apparently whatever this thing is, <clears throat> it uh, has something to do with your perception of what it is. And I found out, uh, thanks to one of these uh, Kinderhook blob blogs, <laughs> that there have been more recent sightings of this. There were two guys who were walking through some woods in Kinderhook uh, in 2017, and they saw, uh, well, they first they heard the whistling sound that I heard when I was a kid, and they looked up and they saw this white shape flying over their heads. And it was, uh, you know, sounded almost exactly like the experience I had when I was a little kid. And my father, who's a total skeptic, was out on his tractor one day. This was maybe 20 years ago or so. And um, he uh, saw this white, he, he called it a blob, that flew over his head and, you know, flew down below the horizon on, in the woods. So <laughs> whatever this thing is, I, you know, I seem to have been instrumental in making it part of the uh, folklore of Kinderhook. There's even a... Um, uh, a blob sticker, Kinderhook blob sticker, you can buy on eBay for something like thirty dollars. I don't know who sells that either. So if somebody's amazing. making money off the Kinderhook blob. I, I don't know who. <laughs> we've uh, we've been talking about these kind of experiences for God fifteen years, and basically do the show because we've had these experiences. Mine happened after testicular cancer, and my dad died when I was seventeen. And a few years later, my dad died. I started to have UFO sightings and see different types of beings from beings of light to hooded beings to weirder stuff. And I've read in a lot of stuff in interviews. There's like a, they kind of compare it to a trickster energy that kind of morphs to your perception. And I don't mm -hmm. know if all of those are trickster, but it's interesting how you said that, how things appear to what you believe. And that's come up in this kind of stuff before, but just the way you said it and everything, it definitely hits home. There's something to that, how it bends. It's like a weird Star Trek entity that, you know, <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's definitely fascinating. Yeah, it seems to feed on your um, on your mind somehow. And, uh, you know, whatever you have in your mind, it sort of makes it real. Like the blob that I saw reminded me of Casper the Friendly Ghost, actually. <laughs> Um, because it had this big bulbous shape to it. And uh, when I was a kid, I was a big fan of the Casper cartoons. So it does seem to have something to do with your perception. It's definitely fascinating. So with the with the, the Sleepy Hollow uh, uh, 
what's the guys the 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 dude with the head the headless horseman what's the story that kind of correlates with that that's there's a true story that that's from what's the the connection well i mean uh washington irving based his story the legend of sleepy hollow on actually an old german legend about a you know a headless soldier um a hessian soldier actually um so i don't think there's necessarily any real truth to that story but uh, you know i've always loved the story especially the uh the walt disney cartoon adaptation of that i always loved that when i was a kid um but you know i mean kinderhook is kind of uh you know bathed in this sort of uh atmosphere of uh folklore and tradition and there are a couple of houses down the road from where we live that um, are supposedly haunted. Uh, Lindenwald, which is haunted supposedly by the ghost of Martin Van Buren, the eighth president of the U.S. So we have a presidential ghost in Kinderhook, which is kind of neat. And right next door to that is the Van Allen House, which was the Katrina Van Tassel house in the, in the Headless Horseman story. And that's supposedly haunted as well. So, um, you know, it's just a... A grand old tradition here in Kinderhook, which well, I'm great. Definitely. <laughs> well, I just wanted to get the Headless Horseman in there. We don't get to talk about that very much, and I know everyone loves that. I found an old uh, 80s Jeff Goldblum movie where he's the, I guess, Ichabod Crane, and I got it yeah. from somewhere. I haven't seen that yet, but I was like, man, this old as crap, but Jeff Goldblum, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, it was, for some reason, that movie was filmed in Utah. I don't know why they didn't film it here, but yeah, oh, you know, <laughs> I still need to see it, and then yeah. of course, the <clears throat> who can forget Christopher Walken as that you know, that yeah. was the, the greatest, the greatest yeah. for sure. Sleepy Hollow. Well, yeah. uh, tell us, it's always fascinating these small town monster stories, how these events happen from Mothman to the Lizard Man in the Carolinas to the I know there's a place Willow Creek and uh. California, I know that because of that Bobcat Goldthwait movie, which I think I've heard of Bigfoot before that. But these stories where, uh, 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 what was the one I just looked, Ridge, the one where the white Bigfoots and uh, the UFO and and uh, military came out, Chestnut Ridge. I, I know I have, they, that's one of their DVDs. But that's it's just fascinating, not only because, I mean, we don't know if it really happened. I'd like to presume, yes, something really happened. But maybe with some of them, we don't know. But who knows? I think, I mean, I've seen weird stuff, so I know weird S happens, you know? So I'm not, I, I think something's going on. But what's weird is after is how these towns memorialize it with like memorials and a parade. And I guess it's people trying to cash in, but it's fascinating on that kind of level. But is, you know, come on in for the Bigfoot uh, two for one tire special or two for one <laughs> cheeseburger. And that's yeah. what, you know, small town monsters, they interview witnesses who seem very credible. So, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with any of the stories. I wasn't there. I don't know. But let tell us about the, the Kinderhook creature. What happened? Was it what what can you tell us about it? Like, what was the story? What was some of the bones of it? Well, actually, the reason that I wrote the book uh, is because Small Town Monsters came here to, to do one of their documentaries. Um, it was called uh, On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Journey. And they came here and also to Whitehall, New York, which is another small town that had a lot of Bigfoot sightings in the 70s. Ours took place mostly in the 80s. And in the late 70s, I read a, uh, a story in a 
in a now defunct magazine called uh, Hudson River Chronicle uh, about, you know, local Bigfoot sightings. And at the time, I was kind of skeptical. I thought, okay, you know, I can I can understand that in uh, in the Himalayas and the Pacific Northwest, but not in Kinderhook. I don't, or you know, Columbia County here in New York didn't seem very likely. But shortly after I read that story, um, my cousin found uh, some strange footprints in the snow in the woods behind our my grandparents' house, and. Um, I took some pictures of them, sent them to the Hudson River Chronicle, and and they promptly lost them, by the way. Um, but we, we thought they were unusual and that they didn't really look like bear tracks. They looked like something slightly different. Uh, at the time, you know, I wasn't really pursuing this. But um, at uh, a little bit later, about a year after that, um, my grandmother happened to look out her kitchen window one morning and she saw something sleeping in the yard, apparently. Something lying down in the yard that was very long or tall and dark. And it was almost in a fetal position. And uh, she looked away for a second. And when she looked back, it was gone. She didn't tell anybody about this at the time because she thought maybe people would think she was going a little batty. Um, but... Uh, after that, she started noticing that something was taking her trash bags from the back porch where she put them in a, in a garbage can. They would take the trash bags out, take them down into the yard, and untie them and take out all the food stuff. Now, a raccoon or something wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Neither would a bear. They would just tear the bag apart. But this, whatever it was, just delicately untied it. And this happened several times. And then she found out that one of her neighbors uh, had an experience where her trash bag uh, ended up in a tree. And this was pretty mystifying. Uh, around that same time, I had a friend uh, visiting from England. And um, she was at, a, at the, my grandparents' house one evening. We were watching TV. And then I told her I'd walk her to where she was staying. And uh, as we went out on the back porch, the security light came on. And as soon as the light came on, I heard this ungodly sound coming from the depths of the woods. Uh, it was something I'd never heard before. It was, it started out like a shriek or a scream, went into a series of guttural sounds, and then sort of died out in a low moan. And my friend from England looked at me and said, is that a typical American sound to hear at night? And I said, nope, never heard that one. Now, as it was dark, I wasn't going to go looking in the woods to see what it was. Um, I kind of wish I had at this point, but oh well. And a couple of months later, um, my grandmother was being brought home by my aunt, my Aunt Barbara. And uh, just as she got out of the car, they heard this horrible noise coming from around the shed behind the house. And the sound, she said, was like a, uh, a person in terrible agony or moaning or something like that. Um, but not exactly a person, just a very loud volume. And my, 
my aunt Barbara was so so panicked. She said, "Get in the car, mom," and then she locked all the doors before my grandmother could get in the car. But <laughs> so what happened ultimately was that my aunt Barbara went home to get her son Barry, who had a shotgun, <laughs> and uh, my grandmother went in the house and in her house and just sat there in her chair with a hammer just in case anything uh, start, tried to break into the house. And when my aunt got back, the thing was still making a crazy noises. And uh, my cousin got up on the porch with a shotgun and he shot it off once up in the air just to make a, a noise. And the thing screamed, whatever it was. And then he shot it off again and he said, flame came out of the barrel this time. And he heard the thing seemed like it ran away. It sounded like it ran away. But he also heard another sound. He thought there might have been two of these things. Uh, I missed all of this because I was out with friends that evening. And when I got home, it was like pandemonium. Everybody was talking about what happened. <clears throat> and um, my grandmother said, you know, she could see a shadow of something around the shed because it was a bright moonlit night. I remember that. And uh, she said it was, uh, you know, something that had kind of a, a pointed head and long arms in the shadow. And um, so <laughs> that kind of started that that really piqued my interest right there. That's for sure. Um, and then I started investigating uh, other people's uh, experiences and found that there were a number of people throughout the county and other counties nearby that had seen or heard this thing. Uh, there was uh, one very good sighting by a woman who um, was driving home from work in Albany, New York. And uh, she just got to the county line, the Columbia County line, and she saw this large ape-like thing cross the road in front of her. She said it was had reddish-brown hair or fur, very long arms, but it was swinging gracefully. And um, it went off into a, a cornfield across the road and disappeared. There was another gentleman who was uh, fishing near uh, a dam uh, near Kinderhook. And um, this was in, day, in the daytime. And he happened to look across the creek. And he saw this creature standing there looking at him. And he said it uh, was very tall and uh, sort of reddish brown hair. And he even said that he could see it so well. He said the fingernails were black. And it was just staring at him. And then it just proceeded to uh, walk away into the forest. So it turned out there were many, many people who experienced this thing. They wrote, they wrote a series of letters to um, uh, a journalist at the Times Union newspaper named Barney Fowler, who uh, had an outdoor column. And he got so many letters, he finally had to call a stop to it. He said, "I, you know, we we have to go on to another subject. <laughs> but there were people from all over the place who had experienced this. And uh, this was uh, this whole flap went on from around 1980 uh, through 1982 or three. And then it seemed to die down. But, uh, you know, I still from time to time get reports. In fact, I just spoke to a gentleman recently who. Uh, said back in the early 80s he was hunting uh, in Stuyvesant, which is near Kinderhook, and he saw this figure standing off in the distance, 
first he thought it might be a person, but then he realized it was much larger than a person. And it didn't have a gun either. It was in hunting season. And uh, it just stared at him and then just, you know, walked up into the woods. So, you know, the stories keep coming and uh, I, I keep trying to collect them. It's uh, it's an amazing tale. It's it's really, you know, when I think about it, uh, about what happened in the early 80s, it's almost like, did that really happen? But yes, it did. Sure did. Was there any UFO stuff at all or anything you've ever seen or anything like that with UFO kind of stuff? Well, yes. Um, that's also in my book because my book uh, is called The Kinder of Creature and Beyond. And it's a personal reminiscence of experiences that I've had and other people that I know personally, either my family or friends or whatever. And of course, back in the early 80s, there was a famous Westchester wing, which was seen all up and down the Hudson Valley, mostly on the New York Thruway and uh, in Connecticut and all over the place. And um, uh, just before that, I um, again, it was my grandmother and me. We saw um, some very strange objects in the sky uh, over the Catskills. And because uh, we had a, a, a window that looks out over the Catskill Mountains. And uh, one evening, just before sunset, we happened to look out the window, and there were four or five reddish-orange balls of light that must have been enormous because they were very far away, you know, like I said, over the mountains. And uh, they were doing all these crazy things. They would, they would shoot out uh, into uh, and do 180-degree turns. They would stop on a dime. They would come together in a cluster and then they would shoot out again and go all over the place and do the same things. And then finally they, uh, they all separated and sort of drifted off. <laughs> and we were so mesmerized by these things for five or 10 minutes. We didn't even think to take a picture, but, um, that was an amazing sight. And, uh, years later after, uh, the Westchester wing flat was pretty much over, some friends of mine and I were driving up the Taconic Parkway and um, the, the driver's wife, who was in the front seat, all of a sudden she shouted out, what was that? What was that? What was that? <laughs> and I, you know, I thought maybe there was an accident or something. I looked off toward the road, but I, I missed I missed what she was seeing, which was, uh, as she described it later, a boomerang shaped object or triangular and she actually drew a picture of it which is in the book uh so that to me is the westchester wing that's that's what it sounds like and thousands of people saw that throughout the 80s um it's uh one of the best documented ufo sightings in history so yeah there's been a lot of activity around these parts i had a ufo sighting that you reminded me of that looked just like those that you were describing and i was outside and i saw these like three or four weird reddish kind of orangish energy things in the sky i call them fireflies and it was almost like that knew i saw them mm -hmm. i screamed like a girl and my brother and nephew came out and saw them so i could get them to come out and at that time i just started i've told this story a million times but i'll just give you the short version real quick 
I was trying to get interviews from my show when I first started and having trouble. And I said a prayer, had that weird UFO sighting. And then the next thing you know, I was on the phone with Stanton Friedman, nuclear physicist, Nick Pope, British mod of the fence and Lloyd Pye of the star child skull. He's passed, but Jim Mars, the guy that did the JFK book and the movie with Oliver Stone, he has the alien agenda. It's like I started talking to all these people. Like, did aliens help me get the hookup? It felt like that. <laughs> but when you were telling that story of the red energy, it made, made me remember mine because they look just like that. So it's always fascinating. But uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you ever seen Dan Aykroyd's UFOs Unplugged. It's on uh, YouTube. If you put, you know, the actor Dan Aykroyd. If you put yeah. Dan Aykroyd UFOs unplugged in YouTube, he has a documentary where he's smoking a cigar as Dan Aykroyd, the actor. He loves UFOs and there's a lot of footage in it. You would enjoy that. Check it out sometime. It's on YouTube for free. But uh, but that's yeah. thanks for sharing that story. But what's up with the house? Are you in that house now that you, you mentioned in the book that your grandparents and there's been a lot of stuff there? I know Wham said something about gremlins, but is that a so, sounds like you're in the Evil Dead cabin. What, what's going on there? <laughs> well, nothing, nothing nasty. It's always been very benign. Whatever is going on here, but um, one of the strangest things that ever happened to me was when I was in my early twenties, and I was walking out behind this house, which I'm at now. Um, there's a field in the back, and there's woods there. And again, this was in broad daylight. And I saw this man with his back to me at the edge of the woods. And mm. he was digging for something. And he was a small man. And he had on an olive green shirt and olive green pants. And I thought, well, that's pretty strange. Because usually we don't have any any people coming onto our property. And, you know, we have like seven acres of land. And it's pretty unusual to see strangers here. So I called out to the guy. I said, what are you doing here? And he didn't answer me. He didn't act like he even heard me. And I called out to him seven several times, and he, he just ignored me. So I went back to the house and got my grandmother, and she came out with me. We both called out to the guy. Again, he ignored us. And then one time we called out to him, and he sort of half turned around. But the weird thing was, even though it was broad daylight, you couldn't really see the features on his face. It was almost like he, he didn't have any features on his face. And then he just turned back and went back to his digging. Yeah. Now, this <laughs> this was so strange, uh, but it gets even stranger. Because the next thing I remember, we were back in the house. And we were sitting at the dining room table. And I, we said to each other, why did we come back here? And we couldn't really fathom why we came back and I didn't even remember coming back to the house. So we went back out to the field and the man was not there, nor was there any place where anybody had been digging. Um, that to me is a really strange thing to happen. So he was wearing green and a leprechaun hiding his gold, was it? Well, <laughs> you know, uh, in the, in the book, I have a chapter about, um, you know, elementals and, you know, wood spirits and, and fairies, quite honestly. Um, you know, the Native Americans had legends about fairies, too. They called them Pukwudgies. And uh, it seems like almost every um, culture 
has a legend about little people. And if you read uh, the books of Jacques Vallée, who is one of my favorite authors in this in this topic, um, you know, he writes about the similarities between fairy sightings and alien sightings, between fairy lights and UFOs. Um, I find that very, very fascinating. And he talks, too, about the, the cosmic trickster, you know, the fact that we seem to see something of what we expect to see culturally. But uh, it can't be explained in any easy way. And his theory is not so much that they're aliens, but that they're something that we just don't understand. Some force or something that just is beyond our understanding. And it's interesting what you said about the, uh, the UFOs that you saw uh, and that you felt that they knew you were looking at them. Because I felt the same thing. I felt like these lights in the sky were kind of putting on a show for us. Um, why? I have no idea. But that's the way I felt. And I also felt that, um, you know, when we saw this man digging, that we had such a strange reaction to it, you know, going back to the house. And yet I don't remember going back to the house. It's almost like there was some kind of missing time. I felt that I was looking at something that I wasn't supposed to see, if that makes any sense. And it's just, uh, you know, a fascinating side note to me. Definitely. Anything you want to ask, Wham? Yeah. Tell the story of the missing coleus. That is my favorite, that is my favorite story of yours. It is so bizarre yeah that's a bizarre what's a coleus uh it's a coleus plant it's a a house plant okay Um, yeah it's a house plant yeah um yeah my grandmother used to have a coleus plant and she had it set up in the dining room it was um set up on one of these old metal tables that um there was an indentation in the middle of it so you you know the the pot was in the middle and then there were two sides that went up uh, higher than the pot. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I walked out in the kitchen one night and I heard a crash from the dining room. And, uh, you know, it's, it sounded like the plant just, you know, the whole pot just fell on the floor. Well, it did, except that it was standing upright. And the strangest thing of all was that the coleus plant was gone, was nowhere to be seen. Now, my grandmother had been sitting in the living room when the pot hit the floor, and she saw what happened. (laughs) And she said that it didn't fall. It it actually went up and over across the, uh, the sides of this metal table and then went straight down. Now, there was no spillage of any dirt. There was nothing on the floor, and there was nothing in the pot. The plant was gone. I mean, the dirt was there, but that was it. Um, and we never found it. We never could locate where the coleus plant went. That, unless it can teleport, I don't know. I mean, I can't explain it. I mean, there are a lot of things I can't explain, and that's one of them. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? I love that story. Because I, I, I know about coleus plants, because it's one of my mom's favorite 
plant type uh, plant. And so, yeah. you know, it's just kind of like, I mean, I had a very strange experience with something that just disappeared too and was never found. I mean, it was, uh, I, I, this happened when I was in, um, I was, I was a, was, I was a freshman in college and I was working at the library and there was, you know, I was one of these people that, that always was finding books at the bookstore that I couldn't afford, you know, mm -hmm. but what I would do at the bookstore, I would, I would give them, this was the college bookstore. I would give them money as a deposit to hold it, you know, right? You know, and then try to come up with the rest of the money. And so I borrowed like $10, a $10 bill from a, a coworker of mine. I had a, I had a, a, an army jacket on. It was a completely intact army jacket. It, it's, it had a pocket here that was, you know, one of those pockets, completely intact. I, I, I took the $10 bill and I, I somehow knew that I wasn't really supposed to be doing this. I felt kind of a sense of shame about having to borrow money from this person. And, and, and uh, I took the $10 bill, you know, folded it up in the normal way you fold up a dollar, you know, a $10 bill. I stuck it in my pocket and it was one of those pockets that had a, that had a, a button down top, you know, you could close it and button it, you know? And so I stuck it in there, I buttoned it and I, and I walked and I did not deviate. I walked straight. I had to walk through a building and a half, but I walked straight to the bookstore. I didn't stop anywhere. I didn't do anything. I walked straight to the bookstore. Probably took me seven minutes, got to the bookstore. Um, I undid it and reached in and it was gone. I mean, it was gone. Mm. And um, there was there were no holes in the pocket. Uh, my friend had seen me put it in. Um, I I retraced my steps. I I did everything I could think of that could possibly even re, even remotely <laughs> could have happened to make that ten dollar bill disappear. It couldn't have fallen out because. It was closed and buttoned and you know what I mean? And it was never found. It never showed up yeah. anywhere. And uh, huh. and I had to pay her back anyway. And I didn't get the book because I didn't have the money to, to make a deposit on it. So it was just like, okay, I guess somebody doesn't want me to get this book. <laughs> How bizarre. I've had Somebody. I've had a couple of other weird things like that where things have just disappeared. Had things have just disappeared, and I've never found them. Yeah, yeah. You wonder if they go into a black hole. Yeah, it's like it that somewhere in the in the universe did all of a sudden somebody like open open something and how popped this weird thing that they didn't know what it was. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like. They see this ten dollar bill. They're like, "What the hell is that?" You know. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, I, you know there there's so little we know about the universe in general. Uh, it, exactly. I mean, it, it far outweighs what we do know. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's really strange. I... Hmm. And uh, this is Small Town Monsters' first book. I didn't see any other ones. This is their first book. I, uh, there's another, they, they did a children's book, uh, which I think came out around the same time. Okay. Um, 
but yeah, certainly one of their first books, that's for sure. I like their documentaries. I've had him on uh, before, and uh, I try to get everyone on, but now there's so many I'm behind a lot, so I have a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're very they're very dedicated to their work, and they're really nice people. I mean, they're a nice bunch of folks. Yep, I like the documentaries for sure. I like uh, Stan Gordon. You're familiar with Stan Gordon in Pennsylvania? Yeah, yep. I've had him on before. I need to get him on again, but he's got some crazy cases over there and he's been doing this a long time. I know he's in a lot of their documentaries, but he has some books I need to catch up on too. I have a bunch of his books, but it's just uh, definitely fascinating. It's even more fascinating when you have these experiences and that's kind of what draws you to it. Is that what happened with you? You had the experiences and it kind of drew you into this world. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I, you know, I read a book when I was very young about cryptozoology and that, I thought it was interesting, but I didn't really expect it to end up in my own backyard, so to speak, with a, you know, a big Bigfoot type creature. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly I, I was kind of skeptical, but I was interested. But then when it started happening to my own family, my skepticism was eroded very quickly. <laughs> One of the things that fascinates me about it is a lot of people I talk to who've had these experiences have had a lot of suffering. Like for instance, my story, 17, find out you have cancer, you lose a testicle. Hey Roku, how are you tonight? But uh, we're on Roku tonight. Uh, that's what I told us like, Hey, how are you doing? But that, that pain along with losing my dad uh, from medicine men and stuff and women I've talked to, it opens your senses. And also, yeah. you know, I got kind of got drawn into the occult and reading all that kind of stuff. And it's like you kind of draw it to you. But there's something about that pain. It's kind of like Pinhead, you know, it draws you in. And then it's all it's all there from there. But uh, so I opened the box. You're so but, uh, I'd be dead if I opened the box. But it's interesting how that, you know, and some of my UFO stuff, I have PTSD from some of it. It's so weird. Like there was one time I was in this house funny enough on Bermuda Street and there were UFO sightings over the house that I lived at. Someone took a picture of the witch in my yard and put it in my mailbox, which was kind of creepy. I know at one point I was walking around with a white painted face, uh, listening to Pink Floyd or something and God knows what, but they probably saw me outside. But at that particular point, I had... I was inside the house and I saw flashing white lights in the windows and it was not, it was something weird and alien. Like they were in my windows and, uh, and later I went outside into the yard. That's where I saw that fat little weird Buddha apparition that may have been my dad messing with me. It was like a fat Chinese statue of Buddha. You see at a Chinese food restaurant, but it looked alive and gray and weird. And then it vanished. But I also, one of the weirdest things there I saw was lights in the trees. And they were not fireflies or whatever. They, it was weird, like weird glowing lights in the trees to where you're like, is there Christmas lights plugged in there? No. What is that? But there was a lot of weird stuff that happened on Bermuda Street. Another weird thing was I saw underneath a uh, street light a woman standing, a man floating like Indian style. And what looked like uh, a guy with a dragon head. Maybe it was a helmet. I don't know what the hell it was. It's like I was having a D&D &D psychedelic flashback or something. But I saw it visually. And I don't know. But there was some weird stuff that happened to that house. It's interesting. A lot of my experiences happened in Georgia. Uh, 
and I've, I've talked to a lot of other people that have had experiences there. And uh, in the Bigfoot situation, Jay, our co-host, has seen a Bigfoot uh, before. I've never seen a Bigfoot. I thought I did when I was a kid, but uh, it was kind of confusing. Uh, but as far as uh, if you had any kind of Bigfoot stuff, I know you've told some stories that you had the, the, the trash bag thing, right? That could have been possibly that. Well, yeah, that was the, the theory anyway. Um, and, you know, the whole the whole Bigfoot flap of the early 80s was an amazing time. Um, I, you know, as I said, it kind of died down then. Um, but, you know, I still hear reports from time to time. And there are a lot of reports from Whitehall, uh, which is uh, oh, about 80 or 90 miles north. And uh, they have... They're they're so into uh, Bigfoot up there. They actually have a statue of it uh, in the center of the town. So they're you know they're much more proud of it than Kinder. Kinder is is like old money, and uh, people are kind of snooty around here, and they don't really want to talk about it much. Uh, you know, I have to kind of dig for these stories in Kinder, but up in Whitehall they're pretty uh, open about it. I see a a. a, a picture in the book of the fairy ring that you took a picture of uh it's like yeah. a, a ring during ufo sightings right it was during the uh 1983 flap of the westchester wing and uh you know i was just it was just uh, off uh the road where we live uh and i i saw this glowing ring and i snapped a, a photo of it which didn't come out very well but it's you know it's in the book um because it was glowing in the dark and I realized that, you know, that can be fungus and all that stuff, but this was a perfect circle. And also it was not in grass as the, uh, as the fungus would be, it was on gravel. So hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. And had there, been, had there been any reports from that area? Um, light, nocturnal lights or anything that had been reported? Yeah. I mean, not, uh, not necessarily at exactly that same time, but certainly in this area in general, there have been quite a few. Aside from what my grandmother and I saw, my uncle saw something strange um, a little bit earlier than that. Um, he was driving along a road one night uh, near Stuyvesant, which is right next to Kinderhook, and there were these big power lines on the one side of the road, and near the power lines, he saw this object kind of hovering. He said it was diamond-shaped, and it was like red and and blue lights and uh didn't make a sound didn't you know didn't do anything it just hovered there and he was he was a guy who was pretty skeptical of these things and he didn't really want to talk about it but he eventually did because he bothered him it was something he couldn't explain and you know in the in the book i i say that i i can't explain most of these things i don't have any you know solid theories on what any of these things are really um but that's what makes them interesting to me is that i can't explain them it's, it's good to say i don't know that's a good thing yep to say i don't know i had a ufo sighting with a friend of these black triangles over power lines and we had a golden ball of light come down out of them and then later i asked him about that he don't remember it for crap and i do plain as day but it's kind of weird to where you're like did they take me i don't think so but i don't remember much else but that but it's weird maybe they're i wonder if they do something from the power lines like take power from it 
or something because I didn't see some other power lines. They're refueling. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of UFO reports over power lines and also, of course, over nuclear plants. Yes. And what that means, I don't know, again, but uh, very interesting. We've had uh, Captain Robert Salas on. He wrote a book about those UFOs coming to his base and shutting down the missile silos. And this dude's still enlisted and has this book, uh, Robert Salas, S-A-L-A-S. But the whole story is about them coming and shutting down the, the nukes and stuff. Uh, or something happened weird where they were there and they shut down something. And he wrote a book about it. And they had to allow him to do it. So probably more like concerns of us blowing ourselves all to hell, maybe. I know I've heard lately a lot of these Foo Fighters are showing up again. And UFO sightings are off the charts right now. And people are seeing that somewhere they're seeing those Foo Fighters again. Not that I trust Russia, but they even had some weird story where they said they shot down a UFO, which could have been a drone or whatever. Who knows? But they said it was a golden ball of light that they shot down. Still creepy when they put that over their news, no matter. Anybody puts that over their news is creepy. But that was just well, out, that story. It's interesting that, that in the past couple of years, UFOs have become almost respectable because you know, the Pentagon has, has uh, admitted that they have investigated UFOs and that they're still investigating them. And they've released, you know, a lot of the videos that pilots have seen, uh, you know, of the UFOs. Um, so it's, it's almost become accepted that uh there's something that we we just don't understand and now there's a new name for them uaps mm -hmm. uh, real phenomena uh which i guess makes it more official i don't know but whatever you call them they're pretty strange definitely i think they're right here with us i mean there may be some that come in from other places but i think it's a phenomenon that's right here with us and like you said it's been around since fairy days the we folk days yeah. it's always been here and it just changes right it changes based on our perceptions now it's aliens and grays or you know whatever when it's just like a weird thing that lives in the hollow earth <laughs> in antarctica but uh is this your first paranormal book no no i've written uh, several um i co-wrote a book with lauren coleman uh, called uh, Monsters of New Jersey. Uh, the first book I wrote was Monsters of uh, the North Woods, which was co-written with uh, Paul Bartholomew and his brother Robert and a guy named William Brand. And that was about mainly about the Whitehall sightings, but also included a chapter on the Kimberly creature. And I also wrote a book called Monsters of New York, uh, you know, which is everything from from alligators in the sewers to of which there actually were some, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, Lake Champlain monster and things like that. You have plans to do anything else paranormal in the future or is you taking a break? What are you doing now? Uh, you know, I, uh, well, actually right now I'm writing a book about Mel Brooks. So that's a little bit different, but <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a writer who, uh, you know, takes assignments, and uh, I guess whatever comes my way is, is what I'll be writing about next. But I do love to write about the paranormal because it's very close to my heart. Definitely. And I want to squeeze some Hammer in there. Did you write a book about the Hammer films? Or I know you've done some work about that. He's the expert. He's the expert. <laughs> I love the – any. I've, 
try to buy. They're hard to find, but anytime I see the 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 collections of DVDs or the the Blu-rays, there was some big crazy set that came out in Europe for some reason. They never released it here, which annoyed me. But I try to get them. I love them. What what got you drawn into that? Oh, I've I've been uh, into those movies since I was five years old. Um, I saw my first Christopher Lee Dracula movie when I was five, and uh, left in a big impression on me. So yes, I've written a lot of books about Hammer. I've uh, I've also been writing for a magazine called Little Shop of Horrors for over forty years, and that's mainly about Hammer films. So I'm I'm considered a uh, sort of expert on those, and I've I've won two awards for them. <laughs> um, I've they're called Rondo Awards, and I, uh, I'm very proud of those because they were given by my peers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, I kind of have two or three hats when I write books. You know, the movie hat and the paranormal hat. I know I saw recently Hammer got a bunch of deals with uh, particular toy companies and releasing more like figures of those kind of things. Like yes. uh, Nika, I'm looking forward to the NECA ones. They always do a good job. There was the Mego ones, which I have some of those, but they weren't the best. But I'm in a really Mego interested. Ones. I have the Mego ones right here. I'll show them to you. Yeah, I have some of them. I'm behind. Oh, look nice. Right. Yeah, you got them all. I'm way behind. <laughs> I know yep. I hear Nika's doing some. I, those are going to be amazing. They just did the Universal uh, Monster ones. Nika did, and those are amazing. So I'm looking forward to the Hammer ones for sure. I need yeah. to get the rest oh, of the yeah. Nikas. I have some of them, but I'm, I'm, I need to get grab some of the other ones on eBay one year <laughs> for sure. Then you run out of room for this yeah, stuff. That That's stuff. the problem. Yeah. I collect Nosferatu figures. And there's, you'd be surprised how many weird ones there are out there, oh. and it can get expensive of Nosferatu. I have a bunch. I have some Vlad the Impaler figures. I collect those. There's some weird historical Vlad the Impaler by Sideshow. They can get it very expensive. I have one of those that's Vlad the Impaler. Uh, but, yeah, I love horror. So what can you, what's going on with Hammer now? Are they? I mean, they've been releasing a few weird little, like, new movies, but... I wish somehow they would get back into like the stuff like they used to do, but I mean that's asking a lot, you know. <laughs> well, the biggest movie they've they've done in the last few years uh, was The Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe, yeah, and uh, that was a, a big success. And there was a sequel. Um, I think they've got a, a Jekyll and Hyde movie coming out actually. Um, Let the right so one in was one they did. I think a, a weird a movie like that. Let the right one in. That's Based on that Swedish yeah. book, they did a movie. Yeah, they did Let Me In. Uh, yeah, yeah. Another version of that. And I thought that was great. And they've done some very interesting stuff in the last few years. It hasn't been like, you know, the classic. Uh -oh. Oops. 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 The blob got him. He's frozen in space. We did pretty, we did pretty good, though. We're doing yeah, but good. he'll be able to come back. Don't be a roll. There he is. Okay, okay you're frozen. You're frozen, but you can talk. Can you still hear us? Okay, you think you're having some phone issues? <clears throat> you're frozen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. There he goes. There he goes. Am there he goes. Frozen? No, no, you're fine. The blob got him. He's frozen. <laughs> But uh, tell us some more Hammer stuff. What's some of your favorites growing up with that? 
I mean, there's so many. I know. I know there are some box sets here in America. I have one. Oh crap! There he goes. There he goes. He's back. He's back. There he goes. There you go. I know there are some box sets. I have one pretty big one that has a lot of hammer horror movies that I got from America. But I know there's one that was overseas that didn't come here for some reason. But uh, what are some of the classics that you love of, of Hammer? Oh, gosh. I'll, um, you know, all the Christopher Lee Dracula ones, obviously. Um, the Peter Cushing Frankenstein movies. Uh, I love their science fiction player mass movies and so on. The Abominable Snowman is one of my favorites. Um, all their vampire movies are great. Actually, um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to go to London to um, to curate a, a vampire film festival that was hammer oriented. And, uh, you know, I picked uh, some of my favorites like The Brides of Dracula and Kiss of the Vampire, Vampire Lovers. And uh, I got to uh, introduce uh, Caroline Monroe and Madeline mm-hmm. Smith and some of the other actresses on stage, uh, which was really fun. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, uh, I'm real busy with Hammerstone all the time. It's, it's not my, my work. It's my love. Nice. <laughs> what was the little TV show they did? It wasn't like Hammer Horror. Like it was like a little show, like different episodes, yeah, they, different stories. Right. They've done three different TV series. They did, uh, Back in the uh, 60s, they did a show called Journey to the Unknown. And in the 1980s, they did uh, Hammer House of Horror. And then they did Hammer House of Mystery and Suspense. <clears throat> so, um, you know, and actually right now, um, they are doing Let the Right One In. That's uh, co-produced by them with uh, Netflix, I believe. That's on Showtime. So, I've been um, meaning to watch it. Showtime. Yeah, that one's yeah. on Showtime. Showtime, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's on my. It says it's pretty good from what yep. I've seen. Uh, I need to check it out. But uh, yeah, mystery and suspense. Yeah, I'll very, have to look that up. Very much like the movie. Yep. Mystery. Yeah, all the TV shows were good too. I Is that mystery and suspense on DVD? Can you buy it? I don't know. That one, that one is a little bit harder to find. Uh, the Hammer House of Horror is is on uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah, I see it on Amazon. Something weird, but yeah, it's not for sale still. So, and then it's always a different region where you can't see it anyway, or something. So, that one I'll never get. Well, yeah, I mean, what what you need to do is get a uh, a region, an all region DVD player, the Blu-ray player. That's that's the secret right there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I didn't know they did that. So, yeah. I'll have to, oh, yeah. Have to check do. it out for sure. And uh, I definitely like cameras. They're classy. That's why I like them. You know, yes. they're good. They're good. Like, what's the one yep. with the, liz- the lizard lady? Like, some li- I forget the name of it. The, the reptile. Oh, the reptile? Yeah, that's one I remember. Yeah. Yeah, that's a favorite of yeah. Yep. That's a good one. What were the other TV shows? I know you said Mystery and Suspense and House of Horror. Was there another one? That's it. Uh, Journey to the Unknown was the one they did in the 60s. Huh. 
trying to save these so I don't forget. Journey to the Unknown. Camera horror. Then look it up later. I'll forget by the time we are done. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> but so, uh, what do you, uh, you wrote a book. What's the book? There's a book of Hammer too, right? That you wrote, right? I've, I've written several. Um, I wrote a book called The Hammer Vampire, wrote one called The Hammer Frankenstein, Hammer Fantasy and Science Fiction. Um, and uh, I just wrote one called The Hammer Thriller, which is about their suspense thrillers. So, uh, yeah, I've written a few. <laughs> to check those out. Do you have a website or anything? Uh, I don't have a website, but you can find all my books on Amazon if you type in my name. Okay. And that's uh, Bruce, uh, G-H-A-L-L-E-N-B-E-C-K. And uh, so anything else come to mind from the your, your Kinderhook book that you'd like to share that we haven't talked about? Anything you can think of off the cuff? Well, uh, just that, you know, these things are, I think they're ongoing. I mean, if somebody saw the blob six years ago, then I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> um, it, it also confirms my belief that it wasn't just my childhood imagination, you know, right. somebody else saw it too. So, uh, you know, I, I just find it very interesting to live around these parts. And I'm always looking and always kind of keeping my eyes and ears open for something strange. Did the police get involved with the, the Kinderhook creature at all? Did it get crazy like lynch mobs and stuff like some of these stories <laughs> where they go find no. the creature? Burn it! No, not really. the The police just want to ignore the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I spoke to a policeman once. Who, uh, we have a state trooper's barracks in Kenbrook, and he, you know, I don't believe that's even possible. I said, "Well, that's that's you're right. Did not believe it. I probably wouldn't believe it myself if I hadn't experienced these things." But there it is. Definitely. It's not do, you, do you still do you still have your uh, your plaster casts of some of the footprints that you took? Oh yes, they're still around. Yep, I uh, wouldn't get rid of those. Yep. Didn't you? Weren't you out looking for? If I remember right, weren't you out looking? You were you were you were at a bridge. You were at a bridge, and you were just you had decided to just go out and see if you could hear something or see something, and you started hearing this chattering, and it ended right. with this weird yeah. light in the sky. So tell that story because that's a cool story too. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's another strange event. Um, yeah, this was in 1982, sort of the height of the Bigfoot activity around here, and. Um, I used to work at a at a radio station in Albany, and I was on the way home. I just thought, you know, I think I'll take a, a drive around to the bridge where we found those tracks. Because a couple of years before that, uh, this person who had been hunting near there had found strange tracks, and those are the ones we made the plaster casts of. Uh, we so we dubbed this this bridge Bigfoot Bridge, <laughs> um, and it's kind of remote. It's in a a spot between. Uh, sort of main road and another road that's distant and uh so it's all wooded so i you know i just thought okay i'm, I'm gonna stop there tonight and just see if anything happens which was kind of stupid because i didn't have a camera i didn't have a tape recorder or anything else but i just thought okay i'll do it um on the way there 
I should have had a clue because a black cat crossed my path. And also, there were like frogs jumping across the road, and it was just a weird night. Um, so I got to the bridge, and I and I parked there and turned off the lights and just sat there for a while. And, you know, nothing happened. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to count to 100. And if, I, if by the time I count to 100, I don't hear or see anything, I'm going to leave. So, I, you know, I started mentally counting. And uh, by the time I got up to around 80 or so, I heard, like you said, a kind of a chattering sound in the in the woods nearby, just across the road. Um, to me, it sounded like a couple of monkeys trying to talk to each other. <laughs> Only very big monkeys. But um, I thought, hmm, okay. I really wanted to get up and go out, go out from the car and walk across the road to see what it was, but my legs wouldn't cooperate. I mean, I was all alone. It was, uh, you know, a deserted road, and uh, I couldn't quite get the nerve. So I, when I finally did get up the nerve to cross the road, of course, the noises stopped. But at that moment, um, this white ball of light came up from behind the trees, and went straight up into the sky and then just went out like somebody turned off a light bulb. It was, it was pretty weird. So then I went home. <laughs> but uh, I kind of wish I had brought at least a tape recorder to uh, tape the sound, but oh well. You know, yeah, I remember when you, when you first. Is 2020, so. I remember when you first told me that story, you said that when that light went up and disappeared, you, ju you just, you had this, you had this feeling like, you just really didn't know what was going on that there was just something really no. weird weird going on. it was just we, we you know that that's called you know and it's uncomfortable you know and 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 i i like the term that that has been coined for that which is the uncanny valley you know it's that sense of oh yeah. god i'm right i'm standing i'm witnessing something that i don't understand <laughs> you know right it's, beyond yeah. me you know um and it is, it's it like, is uh, high yeah it's, uh, yeah it's yeah. kind of like the way an animal the way an animal feel when he when he encounters a toaster or something i don't know it's just it's a very weird feeling because you just have no idea what's what's happening here yeah it yeah 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 it's very strange i mean i i was i i did i made a post uh, a blog post yesterday and talked about um a couple of ufos no, frozen. <laughs> oh okay well you know you're frozen a couple of, and and, did, and talked a little bit about a couple of ufo sightings that i had when i was a kid um in in 1973 and and one of them in particular um you know, I still think about it. It's mm. it's just really strange. It was um, yeah. it's what's it's what's called a pseudo star. I don't know if you've ever heard that terminology, but it's when you're looking at at like well, one of the examples is you're looking at a constellation, and there's something wrong about the constellation. Like maybe there's there's like a star that you thought. It, it, it's like it's in the wrong place or something and you're like what you know is am i seeing this correctly right 
or, or has the star always been here? And I just didn't notice, you know. Um, and I and I was learning constellations. I was 12 years old. I was learning constellations, and I had just I had just learned like you know Orion, which is easy, you know, and and Cassiopeia and a few others, you know, the Dippers, of course, you know, that sort of thing. And I was identifying Orion. And it looked like there was like this extra light in the belt, this extra star. And I looked at it and I was, I was like, did I count, did I count the stars wrong? I mean, and then all of a sudden the extra star got really bright. It like suddenly flared really bright and then moved to the right like this and then did this kind of up and down jiggly thing and then moved to the left and went and it was gone. And I just st yeah. sat there going, uh, <laughs> and I had no idea. I didn't tell anybody at the time because I thought nobody would believe me. And I wondered if anybody else saw it, you know, and, but I have since found out that that is actually a phenomenon. It is, uh, and, and it's described in a detail in a book that's called Project Identification that was written by a, a guy named Harley Rutledge, who was a physicist who did, as far as we know, the only, the only attempt at a scientific field study of UFOs. In, and this was in Piedmont, um, Missouri, in the early 70s, early to mid-70s. And... He, he and his field observers had those experiences a lot. And, and other, another pseudo star phenomenon is you'll see, you'll see something streaking across the sky like really quickly, and it will come to where a, a constellation is. And of course, this is the way the constellation appears to us, right? And it'll be streaking, and then it'll stop and superimpose itself over one of the stars in the constellation and then get very bright or do something weird pulse or whatever. But the point is, is that whatever's doing that is somehow aware of how that appears to us, you know, mm -hmm. because we're looking at those constellations and, and that's what's drawing our attention. And, and it's obviously closer to us obviously than those stars, but somehow it, it is aware of, of, how that constellation appears to us and uses the field of those constellations as a means by which to um, connect, I guess, I don't know, make its presence known, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so like he had several, several um, experiences where they'd be looking at the big dipper and then all of a sudden right in the middle of the dipper part, there'd be like a light that would show up and flare and then move to different parts of the dipper, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so it's, but I had, I, I know I had seen one of those things as a kid, but of course didn't know that it had a name. Yeah. So I didn't either actually, you know, and they've, they've, they've had that, there've been observations like that out at Pine Bush. I've talked to some of the people at Pine Bush in Pine Bush okay. and they've had, they've had experiences of pseudo stars there. So I know that it's not just like a singular thing. It's just, it's just odd. It's like, it, to me, that's evidence of an intelligence of some type, obviously. But yeah. 
what it means, I have no idea. <laughs> you, know? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, you know, what, what my grandmother and I saw, I got the impression, I didn't feel that they were like metal ships or anything. Right. But they were, but it seemed like there was an intelligence behind them. Oh, those, it seemed like they knew we were looking at them. You mean the the ones that were doing their little dance over the Hudson that yeah, you right. that you and your grandmother right. saw out the window, right? Yeah, and other people have seen those, right. seen those kinds of things. That kind of play of those lights, you know. Yep. And also, you know, the Hudson River and and all bodies of water seem to have something to to do with UFOs. Um, it's, you know, you, you kind of wonder, I mean, they've been seen coming in and out of bodies of water. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I know that it was maybe about three years ago. Yeah, maybe well, four, four years ago, four years ago. Um, the, the, my, my um, physical trainer, his cousin, his one of his first cousins, who he's very close to, who used to live up here, um, he was staying at a bed and breakfast not too far from where I live, maybe about four miles from where I live, overlooking uh, a pool that is called Sturgeon's Lake. It's not too far from where I live. And he was out on the back deck. And it was kind of late. And he saw several balls, kind of like what you described, come out of the lake, come out of the pool, and then start sort of zipping around. And he was able to take it. They completely freaked him out. And he, he was able to get his phone and sort of take, sort of, because it's dark and, you know, phones don't always take really good footage, you know, pictures. He was able to get kind of a couple of pictures or a little bit of film of of two of them and one is kind of a reddish orangish color and the other's more white and they're kind of shooting around uh, but it scared him to death and they just sort of you know they weren't too far from him because this deck was like kind of you know overlooking the lake so they weren't too far from him but they freaked him out so bad that he just um, he, st he said he started having nightmares and stuff about it. And he, like, he actually moved to North Carolina. <laughs> That's how much they scared him. <laughs> you know, just the experience of having, um, seeing these odd things, you know, like come out, you know, I don't know. I think I would be, I don't know how I would feel if I actually saw that. I mean, I've seen, although honestly, I have seen something like that. When I lived in Kansas, I lived in this, uh, one of the last places I lived in Kansas when I was um, getting my master's degree, we lived in, I lived in, with my partner in a valley that was, it's called Buck Valley in Kansas. They actually in Eastern Kansas do have hills and stuff. They're not like hills here, but it's not, it's not Wizard, the Oz, Wizard of Oz land. That's further West. Um, but um, I was with a bunch of friends and we were having like a bonfire thing, you know, it was in the early summer and we'd already had some weird experiences that night. We had had some weird experiences with like disembodied voices around and stuff kind of complicated, but then um, across, it was pretty late 
I was, I, I had my back to the, on the Western, to the West of the house, there was like a, it went up, there was like a Creek and then it went like up a Ridge. And I, so my back was to that. And so I was facing East and a friend of mine poked me on the shoulder and said, what is that? And I turned around and looked and there was this light that was, um, in the trees. And at first I thought it was like a flash, a fl you know, like a, fl uh, a flashlight, like maybe somebody who's walking through the, walking through the woods and, you know, like shining them in the trees. But all of a sudden the light shot up out of the trees and then just sort of, so it was clearly not attached to anything. And it just bounced along the top of the trees like that, just kind of boop, 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 boop. And then it went straight up and it was gone. And, and we all just sat there. We were like, like seven of us. And we were like, okay, then <laughs> I think it's time to go inside. <laughs> that was sort of like the, you know, the, the, the group, the group agreement. We were all going to go inside now. <laughs> None of us had been drinking or not very much. Yeah. Anyway. Huh? What color was that like? It was what sort of, was it was kind of a, it was kind of white. It was sort of a bluish white. It was, it was, very, it was very distinct. It was not, there was nothing fuzzy about it. It was very, um, it was like the edges were very defined, but it, but, and it was at the top of the ridge but it, it, but it was, um, it didn't look like it was terribly big, but it was, but what was interesting is when it was in the trees, you could see, you could see that it would pass behind branches, you know, it would pass behind branches, but it didn't like throw a lot of light out from itself. It was very contained and, 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 you know, but it was when it sort of shot up above the trees and there were no clouds. It was a cloudless night when they shot, it shot up above the trees and that in a very defined way, just sort of bounced along the, uh, along the top of the trees. It's going to boop, 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 And then it was gone. <laughs> just shot straight up into the air. You know, it's one of those moments where you just kind of go, okay, then. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, 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 and you're right. I mean, it was kind of like I felt that it was sort of waiting for us to notice. And then once we noticed, it sort of showed off. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Sort of, here I am. Here I am. And then took yeah. off. It's you very odd. The blob. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it does. It does. Except that it was very, very, a very defined round thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wham, I got some uh, good news for you. You know that project identification book? Yeah. It's on archive.org as a PDF. And I sent Excellent. you an email. I just sent you the link on Facebook, but I'll send it to you too, Bruce. It's supposed to be a really good uh, UFO book, but you can download the PDF from archive.org. No, that's if great. You, if you try to find the book, which I was going to do, it's like $170, $80, like one of those weird out-of-print books that suck. When you find them, you're like, ugh. No, no, that's good. I, I'll, I'll, I'll be sure. And when I do a blog and stuff, I'll make an announcement about it because, because it's really, it's really, really a, a decent, I've been telling everybody about it. I mean, I, I used it as a reference when I did my, my chapter on Pine Bush in Mysterious Beauty 
used it as a reference. Um, I had read it years and years and years ago um, as a library book, but didn't purchase it then. And um, and when, and then I tried to purchase it back in 2019, and I paid like 70 bucks for a copy, <laughs> you know. But now it's like hundreds of dollars. So if you, if there's a free way to get it, and and I'd recommend it to you, um, Bruce, because it's a and it's a great story. You know, though, I mean, you're a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, I know. So, yes. you know, there's this whole thing in H.P. Lovecraft in some of his stories about uh, how, um, you know, you have the scientific guy who gets confronted with really weird stuff. And then gradually he sort it sort of makes him go mad, you know, that kind, that kind of thing. Well, what happens in this book, and it's just a, it's just a book about this guy's study. I mean, at the Harley Rutledge, it's just his account. But when you, when you, and, and he is as a scientist, as a physicist, he's not aware of some of the of the kind of larger narratives and um, and experiences that people have around these things, so that, for example, he doesn't have any idea when he when he goes to Piedmont from Cape Girardeau, which is about a seventy mile a seventy mile drive. He doesn't have any idea that when he goes to Piedmont and starts actually putting field observers out to try to capture um, to try to capture you know like the trajectory of these things and and, and triangulate their movement and, and you know, do everything very scientifically he has no idea that one of the effects of that and those of us who know about this know this is that these things will follow you home <laughs> <laughs> and and they do like within three weeks they follow him home and he's just reporting on this he 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 doesn't really get it for a while that there's something going on and then at some point and he writes about this at some point he realizes that he's interacting with whatever this is and he doesn't speculate about it. He's not like Jacques Vallée. He doesn't, you know, he just observes it. And it makes him very uncomfortable. <laughs> but he continues to do it. He gets to the point where he can he can set up his equipment in his front yard and watch this stuff, you know. And his, uh, his entire family has experiences. And... But it's so it's it's just a wonderful book about a guy, you know, it's very scientific, very technical. He, I mean, this was written in the 1970s. He knows tons about cameras and optics. And in fact, some of the mathematics are like, I can't even follow it, you know, because I don't really care. But um, it's 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 a wonderful book for that because he just he just tells you what's going on. And you can see that there's this story that's developing about it and uh it's 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 fascinating it's just a fascinating book i mean i actually did a three-part video video audio blog about this book because it's so interesting and the guy is so interesting he's just fascinating but if you get a chance to read it i think you'd like it you could probably come up with a story around it somewhere <laughs> is this guy still alive Oh no, he died in 2005, I think. Uh, okay. He was a professor of physics at Southeastern Missouri State College. 
and uh, um, okay. uh, the, the project identification ran from 1973 to 1980. The book was published in 1981. So, mm-hmm. well, sounds fascinating. Yeah, he, it's. It's a great book. It's a treasure. I was That's the kind of thing I like to read. Where they they take a scientific approach to it. Yeah, yeah. And he he just he really thought that hey you know maybe it's a natural phenomena I don't know, so mm-hmm. let's let's just you know get a bunch of observers in the field and get, give them all great equipment and. You know, we can start to, you know, we can start to try to track them and see how fast they're going, how far away they are, how big they are, you know, that kind of thing. He just wanted to get that kind of information. And it's just, well, you just have to read it to see what happens. (laughs) If only it were that easy. You know what I mean? You know, if only... It becomes really clear by, you know, after a little while that he's, he realizes he's dealing with something that's intelligent. Yeah. And it's responding in interesting ways to what they're trying to do. And, uh, um, but of course, he, he doesn't try to speculate that much about what it might be. He, the only thing he does is he says, well, this is what it looks like and this is what it is acting like. But is, he doesn't say this is what it is because yeah. he, you know, there's no way to know. Right. Well, that's the right approach, I think. You know, anybody who claims to know what all this stuff is, is probably wrong <laughs> because right. I, don't think we, I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, well, not definitively, certainly. Oh, let's see. I oh, you're like, saying. I always like Charles Ford's attitude. You know, his, his attitude was, well, these are the reports that I get. These are the facts I know. It's up to you to make up your own mind what's going on. Right. You know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Here's like this. I also like what Charles Ford said. Uh, one of the, my favorite quotes of his is, I I think we're someone's property. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I kind of feel that way sometimes. Yeah. Um, oh, this is excellent. Thank <laughs> you so much for finding this, Jeffrey. It's a little unnerving. Yeah, I sent it to you too, Bruce, and it's just a link where you can download the PDF at archive.org. But sometimes I feel like I broke uh, some kind of interstellar uh, universal criminal and I was cast down here into a prison, into this body. <laughs> it's like you, this is like babysitting on Earth. So they don't have anywhere else to put us, just throw us here, <laughs> prison planet. But uh, some days feel like that more than others, that's for sure. <laughs> There's something to it. And then lately, some of the crazy violence. Like, we always have violence, but it just seems like when you read all these things about <laughs> shifts and magnetic fields and the Earth's core going backwards, it's like it reminds me of the crazies by George Romero and then the remake where everybody goes crazy. It just seems like everybody's losing their freaking mind. But uh, <clears throat> that crazy sicko that killed those four girls in idaho just while they're sleeping like there's always been stuff like that three, three girls and a guy yeah just terrifying you can't even sleep in your house without some nut coming in and stabbing you to death and ted bundy want to be but uh well uh let's see here everybody if you're listening from roku make sure you check out church of mabus radio.com that's church of m-a-b-u-s radio.com and uh, 
You got a wham here. And, versus, and versus butt right here. Yes. Versus butt. Exactly. Yes. Hold oh, summon the creature with the book. Yeah. <laughs> the Kinderhook creature and beyond. A personal reminiscence. Uh, Bruce G. Hallenbeck and uh, Small Town Monsters Publishing. You can go there. They got lots of uh, his book. You can get the book on Amazon too, I'm guessing. And then uh, you can also get their documentaries there. I like their documentaries. I'm behind though. I need to get some that I, I don't have. I have a bunch, but there's some that I don't have. Uh, the Skinwalker thing. I miss that one. That's always a fascinating story that I don't even like to say that word. They're going to come get you at night. We're just saying their name. But <laughs> but definitely keep us in the loop, and we're glad we got the tech stuff ironed out. Next time, if we get you on, just remember yeah. phone. <laughs> yeah, that'll work. <clears throat> What's so weird? It's like earlier in the day, I felt this weird anxiety, and I didn't know what it was, and then I realized when all that was happening. So that's what that was. <laughs> that was happening in the future. But the yeah. good thing is we ironed it out, so and we, we saved the show, so it was good. There was not really that much of a problem. We got you on on time, and everything was ready to rock and roll, for sure. And uh, what's so what's going on? You, right. you, uh, I noticed there was a Hammer comic that was from Titan called that Captain Chronos. I never got those. I got into comics not too long ago, and it, I love them, but it's also a mistake at the same time because it's just insane trying to keep up with all of, all of the stuff. You like so many of them. You know, there's so many different ones. And horror, there's so many horror ones. Yeah. Like, ah, I gotta get that one. No, you can't. But, uh, <laughs> it's like I just can't. It's all of it. It's all of it. eight spawns. There's a gunslinger western spawn now. Damn it. It's like too much. You know, <laughs> yeah. to keep up with. But I love Hammer Horror. I love Hammer Horror, so definitely uh, love to get that. Yeah, uh, makes, it. makes me <laughs> want to watch it. <laughs> Dig up my DVDs and start yeah. watching it. There's a bunch I haven't seen. There's a lot of them. There's some I've seen a lot of them, but there's a lot I haven't that I still have. I got some weird one that has a bunch of the old ones on there, like a bunch. It was like 60 bucks or something. It has like a ton of them on it, like a DVD yeah. set or Blu-ray set. Yeah. And then kind of came out not yep. too long ago, but there's a lot of like weird ones that are old on there that I haven't seen. I right. check those out yep. for sure. But yeah, we appreciate it so much, Bruce. It's been great, and uh, thanks so much. And uh, we've enjoyed it. Keep us in the loop on future projects, and we'll get you back sometime. And thanks so much. Thank you. Glad it finally worked. Yes, me too. The blob tried to stop us. The blob. <laughs> The good blog doesn't want to eat you and assimilate you. He just wants to be your friend. <clears throat> he wants to be your mother, That's Mary. Right. <laughs> that is weird. He just like, wants to screw, screw your tech up. Yeah. yeah. Shapeshift into the Virgin Mary. <laughs> yeah. There's going to be a passion of the Christ, too. Can't wait, right? <laughs> oh, God. I could love like I could do completely without all of that. Yeah, I'd have to watch it once. No, no, no. You know, the it's just Christmas. It's Christian porn. It's a, it's a, it's a yeah, Jim Caviezel. BDSM. Jim Caviezel. He's like yeah. like adrenochrome and Q. So it'll be <laughs> there'll be a Q symbol on Jesus, a <laughs> QAnon symbol. It's insanity. We're not a political show, so let's stop it. 
but thanks for listening to Church of Mabus Radio. If you're new listener tonight, uh, you can check us out, Church of Mabus, M-A-B-U-S, radio.com. And, yeah, that's the weird thing from Nostradamus. We're doing the show. We're bringing, bringing forth the darkness. So have a good night. I'm just playing. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Bye, Bruce. All right. Take care, Bruce. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. All right.